Well, good morning. Um, I have in front of me here a Bible. And the Bible is a story, it's a true story, all about God and his interaction with humanity. In fact, his interaction with all of creation. Now, the Bible is made up of 66 different books, different authors, but they all contribute to one big, coherent story about God. And the first part of the Bible, the first book is called Genesis. It's the book of beginnings. And over the past two weeks, Andy and Dave have uh, led us wonderfully through the first chapter of Genesis. And what we've learned in the first chapter of Genesis is that at the beginning, God made everything and he made it good. So it was indeed a fantastic start. But what happens next? Well, this morning, we're going to look at what happens next. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first three verses, the first three sentences. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now there are three things that we see in those three sentences. Three things I'm going to highlight, to to spotlight, to draw to our attention. Those three things are as follows. Firstly, God completed a glorious work. Secondly, God rested from a glorious work. And thirdly, God blessed a glorious day. So firstly, God completed a glorious work. Now, friends, I want to tell you a a little bit of a, a story. So my ethnic heritage is from the Caribbean. Both my mum's side of the family and dad's side of the family are from from different islands in the Caribbean, in the West Indies. And a big part of our culture, or our food culture anyway, is fish. Now, I realise I say the word fish, and fish for many people is like marmite. You either love it or hate it. Well, me personally, I love fish. And one of my um, earliest memories as a child was seeing a picture, a photograph of my granddad um, stood beside one of his friends and they'd just gone fishing and they caught, I don't know quite what fish it was, but it was a massive one. And I think ever since I saw that picture from a really young age, I always wanted to go fishing. I always wanted to go fishing with my granddad. I didn't get the chance. He died before we had chance. Um, but that, that idea of being able to go fishing, that stayed with me all the way through uh, childhood, into teenage years and beyond. And um, thankfully, a few years ago, I got the chance to go fishing um, with some family members. But the interesting thing is that my, my experience of fishing was quite different to what I'd envisaged when I was growing up. You see, as a kid, when I thought about fishing, I expected that I'd be uh, on a Caribbean island, it'd be really nice and warm, calm and gentle seas, and the fish would just come to me, it'd all be really easy, and the fish would be really big. This was not my experience of fishing up in Northumberland. It was cold, it was wet, it was windy, and I was on a boat that was rocking back and forth back and forth. Now, guys, I must admit at this time that I am not the world's strongest swimmer. In fact, I I never uh, completed my five-meter swimming badge as a child. Um, So, (laughs) 
this, this was not the most fun experience in the world for me. I, I, I was there on the boat, we were going fishing, I was looking forward to that, but, but there was always, the, there was still this slight fear in terms of what might happen if I go overboard. And we were on this boat for quite a while and not catching anything. I'm thinking, this is not what I envisaged when I was growing up. Now, thankfully, eventually, someone in the boat caught something. Someone to my right, then someone to my left. Then eventually, I caught something. And we caught more and more and more fish. And it actually got to the point where, even though there were more uh, fish to catch, we, we caught enough. You see, myself, my, my father-in-law and brother-in-law, we, we went with the intention that we were going to catch some fish and we were going to take it back home to share with the rest of the family for dinner. And we got to that point. There were more fish in there, but we were, we were done. And I remember a, a really um, special moment, actually, getting back onto land, and two things popped into my head um, as we got back into land. Firstly, um, oh, I'm still alive. I didn't drown. Um, but secondly... This was mission accomplished. This was job done. We set out with a particular thing in mind, a particular goal, and we achieved it. We brought back enough fish to have for dinner together as a family. And there was a tremendous sense of achievement. It really, really was. We were absolutely chuffed at what we were able to do. And I say all of that just to illustrate that what we see in the passage is that at a particular time in history, God's project of creation, his work in creation was done. It was complete. It was finished. You see, for God, there was going to be no sort of popping back. There was going to be no adding a few bits in or no, oh, I think I might make a few design changes here. No, God was absolutely, unequivocally, completely finished and done with project creation. In fact, if you were to uh, have sent him an email at that point, which you obviously wouldn't have done, but if you were able to, you would have got an out-of-email office response, an automatic email coming back to you saying, project creation is done. And you see, what God achieved, on the, on the, what, God achieved what we saw in Genesis chapter 1, in, in terms of um, all of creation, uh, the, the heavens and the earth, all the entirety of the universe, what God achieved was far more impressive than my catch of fish, as excited about that as I was. Much, much more impressive. And I think it's worth us reflecting on that. There are many things in life that we are, we are proud of, and rightly so, many good achievements that we, we want to kind of pat ourselves on the back about and, and, and think, actually, I've done a really good job here, and I think that's a good thing to do. But friends, can I, can I encourage us to give space to thinking and talking about the impressive things that God has done, the impressive things that God has completed? If we are able to get impressed by the things that we do, surely we must be impressed at what God has done. You see, the God of the Bible is someone who finishes what he starts. There's a famous uh, quiz show that that, um, has been around for a long, long time. It's called Mastermind. And on Mastermind, uh, the, the, the contestants have a specialist subject, and usually the specialist subject is really narrow. I don't know what yours would be, but it'd be re- it's usually something really narrow. It'd be like uh, varieties of McVitie's biscuits between 1973 and 1977. That would be someone's specialist subject. And the quiz master will be asking questions, and there's a time limit. And oftentimes, as the quiz master is, is asking a question, the, the buzzer goes to say that is the end of time. There'll be no further questions after this one. 
And there's a little phrase that the quiz master has that I absolutely love. So if he's asking a question and the buzzer goes whilst he's asking the question, he has a little phrase. And his little phrase is this. It's, I've started, so I'll finish. And I absolutely love that phrase. And I love it partly because it, it, it relates so closely to God. You see, friends, God is the only person in the universe who can truly say that about absolutely everything. He's the only one who can truly say about absolutely everything, I've started, so I will finish. You know, many of us have, um, have to-do lists. Now, now your to-do list might be uh, something on paper, it might be on a digital device, it might all be in your head, but in life we all have some things that we're thinking about that we need to do. We have, we have, a, have a list maybe that we're ticking off as we go along. Well, you know, God's to-do list has two columns, okay? On one side, you have things that he has finished. On the other side, you have things that he will finish. So things that he has finished and things that he will finish. But this is actually quite different to our to-do list, if you think about it. You see, whereas on our to-do list, we do have those two columns, things that we have finished, that we've ticked off, uh, and things that we will finish. We also have quite a few things in there that clearly are never going to get finished, never going to get done. Maybe you've made some uh, New Year's resolutions. Maybe you've set out to, I don't know, go running three times a week. And, and the, the reality is you know that this week that is not going to happen, yet you keep it on your list. You know, this is the last day of the week. You've not been for one run yet, but still on your list you have, I'm going to run three times a week. You see, God is so different to us, is he not? And that is a good thing. God finishes what he starts. God completed a glorious work. We've got to ask the question, why is this good news? Why is this important? Well, later on in the story, and it's a slight spoiler alert, but I don't want to go too far ahead. Later on in this story in Genesis, this, this, this Bible story, things go bad. Okay, so at the start, God made everything and it was good. But at a certain point, things go bad and the perfect world gets messed up. And the reality is, friends, we know that we live in a world that is messed up. We know that things aren't as they should be. The very fact that we, we are unable to be physically together in a room at this time is testament to that. The fact that our health service is under such strain because of this pandemic is testament to that. And many, many other things. This world is messed up. But though this world is messed up, very early in the story, God makes a promise. God makes a promise to fix it. God makes a promise to fix everything that is broken. And from what we've already seen in Genesis chapter 2, that first sentence, we see that God completes what he starts. Now, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden, all of the, uh, all of the, the, the troubles and the difficulties of our present time just kind of uh, wash away or fly away. Not at all. Life is tough at the moment, and we need to look that you know, right in the eyes. But there is another significant reality, and that is that God has promised that everything that is broken will be fixed one day. There is a promise um, that is, is ultimately kind of fulfilled at the very end of the story, actually. 
And that is that there will be a day where there'll be no more crying, no more mourning, no more sickness, no more death, no more pandemics, no more racial inequality, no more poverty, none of that stuff. That day will come. God has promised it and he will deliver on it. And yes, we definitely do struggle at the moment. We struggle with the reality of a broken world at the moment. But friends, we must lift up our eyes and take God at his word when he says, I will fix it. So in in God completing a glorious work here, it's almost as though he's pointing ahead to something coming up, something that we can uh, hang our hopes on. And that is one day he will fix everything that is broken. So God completed a glorious work. God also rested from a glorious work. You know, sometimes in life, people say things that force you to, to sort of double take. You hear it and you think, I'm not entirely sure I heard that. Let me, let me just check on that, that thing. And I remember a few weeks ago, actually, um, my, my wife, Jess, uh, saying to me that, that some people had stormed the, the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. And uh, I, I heard it, but I thought, let me just check that, like, what I thought she said was what she actually said. And I, I asked her a few questions just to kind of clarify things. And, and yes, it was actually true. But I had a double take moment there. And you know, oftentimes in the Bible, we get those double take moments. We get a lot of double take moments actually in the Bible. And um, it, can be our, it can be a temptation uh, when you get some of those moments to just think, oh, I'll just kind of, um, I'll just ignore it and just carry on like that's entirely, entirely normal. I don't really get it, but that, that's, that's fine. Um, can I encourage us to take a different approach to the Bible? Can I encourage us to be like Detective Columbo? Um, now, some of you won't be aware of Detective Columbo. Um, Columbo was a, um, a TV detective from, from back in the day. And um, the interesting thing about, thing about Columbo was he would be in a room, he'd be uh, maybe interviewing someone, he would be gathering evidence, he's, he's just trying to, he's trying to solve the case, he's asking a few questions. And um, it, it looks like, okay, Columbo's asked his questions, he's about to leave now, okay, all done and dusted, I'm about to leave, I'm about to go out the room. And then, and then just before he gets to the door, he will slow down, he'll stop, and he'll start to like scratch his head, and, and clearly, you look at the, the expression on his face, and Columbo's having a double-take moment because he's, he's reflecting on what the person has told him, and he's reflecting on what he knows already, and something in his mind isn't quite adding up. It's not quite matching up. And then what Columbo usually does at this point is rather than just ignoring it and, and going out the door, he turns back, and he'd often say, just one more thing. And then he'd ask some more questions just to clarify, just to get a little bit more information, just to get a little bit more understanding. Friends, when we get those double take moments in the Bible, can we be a little bit like Detective Columbo? Because there is, in fact, a double take moment right here in these three short sentences of, of Genesis, at the start of Genesis chapter two, there is a double take moment. You see, we are told that God rested from his work of creation. I'm going to say it again. God rested from his work of creation. God. Why is God rest? Does God need rest? What on earth is going on there? What is this telling us about God? And just by the way, that's a really good question to ask. Whenever you read anything in the Bible, it is, what is this telling me about God? So let's dig into that. God, God rested from his work of creation. We get it actually in verse uh, 2 and in verse 3. 
God blessed the day, seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. I think we need to understand rest rightly. Many of us think of rest as the, it's just not doing anything. It's just sort of just letting life pass us by. Whereas in fact, the, the, the reality of rest is a little bit different. Rest is often about moving from one activity to another. It's about a shift or a change. Even sleep, for example. Uh, sleep is a form of activity, isn't it? In sleep, you're not, you're not, it's not that you're not doing anything. Plenty is actually happening when you are sleeping. Plenty is happening in your body. Plenty is happening in your brain. But you are resting. You are, you are changing your activity from one thing to another. So when we hear about God resting here, it's not like all of a sudden God is doing nothing. God is shifting from one activity to another. See, God is moving from project creation to the, the project of ruling and sustaining and relating to that creation that he has made. He's moving from one thing to another. You see, God rested from his work of creation because creation itself wasn't the end goal. Now, God and us, we're, we're, we're different. So we rest because we, we have need of rest. We are, we are, we are weak uh, we, we, we need more energy, we, we, we need vitality. God doesn't need anything. God has absolutely everything that he needs in himself. So we, humanity, people, and God both rest, but we rest for different reasons. And God rested from his work of creation because creation itself was not the end goal. He had a, a, a bigger, a, a higher goal, a higher purpose in mind. Now, remember I told you about my, my, my um, trip going fishing, my trip uh, catching mackerel. Now, as much as I, I grew up really excited about the, the idea of going fishing, do, do you know what? It, as good as fishing is in and of itself, for me, it was never just about the fishing. I always wanted to go fishing because I always liked the idea of being able to catch the fish and then be able to eat it, be able to eat it with friends, be able to eat it with family. It was never just about the fishing. And if on that trip to Northumberland we, we fished and then, uh, then we, you know, kind of put the fish back in. I mean, some people do that. I understand that. But for me, that would have been an anticlimax because I wanted to fish so that we could enjoy the eating of fish together. The end goal was never just the fishing. And God's purpose in project creation was not just project creation. God's purpose was his glory and our joy. God's purpose was to create people like himself who, who would look like him and act like him and, and also to create a world for those people to rule in and also to enjoy relationship with those people in that world that he made. That was God's purpose. That's the reason why God rested from his work of creation. He rested from his work of creation to move into a new work, a work of uh, ruling and sustaining and relating and again, friends, we need to ask the question, why is this good news? It's good news because, you know, many of us are struggling with, with purpose at the moment. Life is very different to how it was this time last year. The way that we relate to one another, working lives, concerns about the economy, concerns about health. Life feels very different. And a lot of the things that we felt gave us uh, meaning and value and purpose in life have been, it's like it's all just been chucked up in the air. And many of us are struggling 
with that. Well, I, I want to say something. You know, Christians, um, some, uh, some Christians over the past few hundred years, they've come up with a phrase or a sentence to describe really our, our meaning for life or our purpose for life. It, it's, it's, it's a sentence that is in answer to the question, what is the purpose of humanity? What am I here for? And this is the sentence that many, many Christians have used in response. The sentence is this. The purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, there were loads of different ways that we do that. There were loads of different ways that we glorify God and we enjoy God. It's reflected in in, in the way that we spend money. It's reflected in the way that we spend time. It's reflected in in, in how we show compassion to one another. It's reflected in in our works of creativity. It's reflected in so many things. It's reflected in employment. It's reflected in work in a home. It's reflected in so many things. But I want to say something um, to us this morning, friends. And that's that... There are loads of ways that we glorify God and enjoy him forever, but none of those things by themselves were ever designed to carry the weight of our full purpose. None of those things by themselves are our purpose. Your productivity as a worker is not your prime purpose. You being a perfect friend who is keeping in touch with everyone and just looking after everyone during lockdown, that is not your prime purpose. You being the perfect parent who gives their kid no screen time but gives perfect kind of eye-to-eye time all the way throughout lockdown, that is not your purpose. And those, they're, they're, though those things are good and valuable, they are not your prime purpose. And friends, if, if we were in the same room together, it's one of the frustrations, but honestly, if we were in the same room together, I would, I would be right in front of you. I'd have a hand on your shoulder. I'd look you directly in the eye. And I would tell you that your prime purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So though you may not feel particularly productive at the moment, though you may not feel like the best friend, the, 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 the best parent, though you may feel like you have no idea what the next few weeks or months Hold, your prime purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is why God moved from project creation to project ruling, sustaining and relating. Friend, that is your purpose. So uh, God completed a glorious work. God rested from a glorious work. Finally, God blessed a glorious day. So we see in the third sentence, uh, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God made the seventh day special. It was holy. It was set apart. It was in its own category. I don't know, you might have um, some food in your cupboard that doesn't, you, don't, you don't bring out all the time. I know um, that many people, they have certain, like, certain cereals that only really come out at a weekend. So Monday to Friday, it might be the boring things like um, Rice Krispies and um, cornflakes. Saturday, Sunday, that's when you bring out the, the, the good stuff, the Cocoa Pops, yeah? So that stuff, in, in a technical sense, is holy. It's special. We read here that God made the seventh day holy. It was special. It was blessed. It was in a category by itself. 
And, you know, later on in the, in the Bible story, when we get past Genesis, we get into a book called Exodus. We see that um, God's people were actually living in the wilderness for a while. So in the wilderness, in the desert, there's not a great deal to eat. But God miraculously fed them. God miraculously provided for them by raining bread down. So bread would literally rain down uh, and they would have to gather it up. They would go out every day to, to collect up, to gather up the, the, the bread that God had rained down onto the ground. And that was the way that they were fed. But I say every day, it wasn't actually every day. It was, it was six mornings out of seven. And you see, because on, on the sixth morning, God ensured that there was enough bread that he sent that would last them into the seventh day as well. Because on the seventh day, they were going to be doing no work of collecting, of gathering. And you know I think for the people then, and even, even for us now, the seventh day is like God's reminder to us. It's his, his blessed reminder to us. And it's his reminder where he says, look, my child, my son, my daughter, I've got you. I've absolutely got you. You see, on the seventh day, the, the, the blessed seventh day, the, the, the people were able to, uh, to eat and to rest and to, uh, and to uh, just enjoy themselves, yet they had done no work. Days one through six, yes, they, they worked, they gathered it up, they brought it back in and they were able to enjoy that. On the seventh day, they did nothing and yet they still had enjoyment and refreshment and rest. And it's as though God is reminding them, God is saying, look, yes, you worked, yes, you labored uh, on day one through six of the week. But actually, it wasn't your work that really made the difference. It was all my work. The reason why your work was productive was because I was working with you. I was working alongside you. And even on that seventh day, when you're doing no work, I'm still at work. I'm still providing for you. You see, it's God's blessed reminder to his people. Now, we no longer, well, I certainly have, no longer have bread uh, raining down from heaven into my garden. But there is still the blessing of the seventh day. It's a blessing that is physical, emotional, and spiritual. And um, it's, it's kind of beyond the, the, um, the scope of this sermon today to talk about the, like the practicalities of what it looks like to live in a rhythm of, of work and rest. We've got some video resources, actually, which we're going to be sending your way in a few weeks' time on that, because that is really important for us to, to get into. But... I just want to say that this is the kind of thing that doesn't necessarily come naturally to us. We need to work at it. We need to work at building our lives around that rhythm that God has blessed us with. It's a rhythm that God has gifted us with. Because the reality is it doesn't come naturally, friends. So you can, you can be in your, in your bed at night, and that is supposedly a relaxed environment. But you could be physically there, um, eyes shut and yet your mind is turning to all the things that you need to do your mind is turning to the shopping list for tomorrow your mind is turning to the difficult conversations you need to have in work your mind is turning to again concerns about covid concerns about finances concerns about health and that is not a relaxing environment though your body is absolutely still it might be a comfy bed your mind is going 100 miles an hour that is not restful so this thing of true physical emotional and spiritual rest is something that we need to learn something that we need to grow into there's a there's a, a christian technical term um it's called discipleship discipleship is all about um uh, 
becoming more like Jesus, learning to become more like Jesus. This is just one aspect of our discipleship. But I, I want to make something clear is that, you know, this rest is not something that we muster up from ourselves. It is a gift from God. It is a good gift from God to us. And uh, many of you will know that um, uh, at the end of August, so my, my wife Jess and I, we have a son called Evan. At the end of August, he was diagnosed with kidney cancer. And it was a complete shock, uh, shock to us. Um, it, it's, it's certainly not been the easiest time. It's been very difficult at times. Um, but one of my reflections is now a, a few months on is that we have been we have been seriously prayed for by the church. We a lot of prayer has been sent our way, which we are very thankful for. And I remember a friend asking, saying, "Look, do you, do you like when people pray? Do you like notice a difference? Like literally, as people are praying, have you picked that up?" And and I kind of said, "Well, I think so. Yes." Because, you know, there have been times over the past few months that in the midst of all of the worry and concern and what's going to happen, there have been times, and this is a supernatural thing, where peace and rest has come to us. And sometimes that peace and rest is just for a few hours, sometimes it's for a, a few days, but it's like in the middle of chaos, in the middle of uh, COVID, in the middle of um, our child having cancer, somehow in the middle of that, rest and peace comes to us from God and we have been so blessed in those times and I want to be really clear with you I'm not in any way saying that, that, that this whole thing has been easy and 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 lovely and wonderful it it hasn't but I just want to be clear that 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 God has stepped in and stepped alongside us and given us rest in the midst of what is not a naturally restful or or peaceful situation and I say that just to, just to really say that, friends, Jesus offers true, deep and lasting rest. And this is something that we must be praying for one another regularly as a church. I, I, we've certainly felt the benefit of that as a family, but I think particularly at this time, particularly into this third lockdown, many, I know many of you are on the edge. You're feeling like you've got nothing left in the tank. This is the kind of time that we need to step up and step in and be praying the peace and the rest of God over one another. And can I just say, if you are, if you are feeling, you know, at, at the edge and at, at the end, I, I want to encourage you to tell someone. I, I want to encourage you. And if you don't have anyone in the church, please, please do um, contact uh, the church office and, and any of the, the, the church pastors, any of the site team would love to have a conversation with you, would love to be praying for you. But Jesus offers true, dark, deep, lasting rest. There were some uh, words from a, um, a famous North African bishop from, from way back in the day, I mean like hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that I find really helpful. And he says this, he says, you have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And I, I think that just captures something, doesn't it? Particularly in our present time, where many of us feel restless. We feel like there's, a, there's an itch that we just haven't quite been able to scratch. We feel like we've been searching for rest and it's not quite happened. We've maybe searched for it in actually trying to get fit. We've been searching for it in, in Netflix. We've been searching for it in pornography. We've been searching for it in food and it's not quite satisfied. Well, our friend, Mr. Augustine, this North African bishop from way back in the day, he tells us, we have been made for God and our hearts are restless until they rest in him. We are made to find rest in 
God. That is the only place we're truly going to be satisfied in our rest. This is good news. It's good news because, do you know what? To be on good terms with God, to be seen by God um, as good by God, to be free from the fear of punishment from God, has nothing to do with your hard work. It has nothing to do with your attempts to be good or to do the right things. That contributes absolutely nothing. And the, the, that day of rest, that Sabbath day of rest, reminds us of that. It contributes absolutely nothing. It's actually God's work through Jesus that makes us right with God. So just like the, the, the people of God, they, they were blessed on that seventh day. They did nothing, but they in, enjoyed God's, uh, God's provision in the same way. We do nothing to impress God, but simply by trusting in Jesus simply by asking Jesus to swap places with us. We actually, in, in, in God's eyes, we are seen as good. We are on good terms with God. On the seventh day, we're reminded that the way is open to peace and rest with God. It's like he has built a table. He has built a table for us as, his, as, as people, as humanity. It's a table for us to enjoy him and his creation. And the invite is open to all of us and we can come. We come empty handed. Peace with God, rest with God. On that seventh day, on the day of Sabbath, on the day of rest, we are reminded of that reality. The table is open, all are welcome. We do not come on our own merits, we come on the merit of Jesus. Friends, that is good news. So the table is open and I would love to invite you to, kind of, to come with me to God's table. But you know what? There's, there's something that comes before that, before coming to the table. All of that stuff that we've learnt by God ought to do something in our hearts and it ought to lead us to worship. And that's what we're going to do now together. We're going to worship God together in song for who he is and what he has done.